Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. A couple weeks ago, we started the series In Between Advents. In between meaning there was a time where Jesus came the first time, 2,000 years ago, the kind of the one that gets all the attention. And there's another advent where Jesus comes again and every, to use Tolkien's language, every sad thing is made untrue. And we ask ourselves, is there anything about the way God operates in the world that tells those of us who are Christians how we ought to be operating in between advents? I believe it's a resounding yes. In church history, most theologians have said a resounding yes. God put on flesh. He became a human being. He became a Jew, he became a man, he, became, he had to learn a language, he had to learn a culture and customs and experienced all that we experience, and then as the writer of Hebrews points out, lives this life without ever once choosing sin. And we are grateful for that because he took his holiness when he went to the cross and he gifts that holiness to his church. And he took our dirtiness and filth onto himself. Which is why he can say from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, did Jesus ever do anything to be forsaken by the Father? No. It was Greg's sin. It was your sin that was on him and he took it to the cross. What can we learn from that? Can we die for other people's sins? Of course not. But can we learn from what it is to take on flesh and to become like or, or empathize with the people around us? Two weeks ago, we first started talking about what is it to incarnate in the world, world missions, to become a citizen of the world toward the purpose of sharing Jesus with everybody, no matter what language, tribe, tongue, continent you live on, etc. And we're going to get a little bit smaller each week that goes by. Today, we're talking about incarnating in our city. Oh, I wanted to, I forgot to um, recap what I said two weeks ago. I want to remind you guys, this is a map of unengaged, unreached people groups, meaning Groups of folks that do not have one single Christian church that they could go to where the gospel is communicated in their language. So you see, again, some of these dots are in California. It'd be very easy to think, oh, there's a church um, on every corner. Not quite. I mean, if you've, if you've been through Dallas, you know we don't have a church on every corner. They have a church on every corner. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> They have more, more churches than gas stations, I think. But even here in California, it seems, well, there's got to be a church for everybody, right? And that's just simply not true. If you look at it really carefully, you ask what languages are spoken in Sacramento, you start with English and then Spanish, and then we have really sizable Russian, Ukrainian, Thai, Vietnamese. Like, if you're in the top six or seven language groups in Sacramento, there is almost certainly a church or two that you could theoretically get invited to. There's a friend who speaks the same language as you, same culture as you, where the gospel is represented. But even in California, there are groups of people because of running away from a war or moving because of economic opportunity or what have you, there are groups of folks that do not have any practical life-on-life access to the gospel. And so my challenge to you two weeks ago was, 
even though we're a small church, I want us to be hungry and stay hungry until the Lord gives us an opportunity to serve. And we already support missionaries uh, all over the world, some of which, uh, none of which actually are working with unreached people groups, which doesn't mean they're not doing incredible work, right? The Coles are in Israel, and less than 2% of Israel professes Christ. So are we glad the Coles are there? Say yes. <laughs> we love that they are there, but it should also break our heart and give us some Holy Spirit agitation that there are peoples, especially, you see, in India, but there are peoples all over the world that could not go to church if they wanted to. That needs to bother us until the mission is fulfilled. I don't mean to get off on a riff here about end times theology, but you guys notice in the book of Revelation, and as, as well as the prophets, the return of Christ is directly related in Scripture to everybody getting to hear the gospel. And I'm not here to take my end times theology and shove it on you, but it is possible. It is very possible that Jesus doesn't return until these red dots go away. Don't quote me on that. I could easily be wrong, but that is some people's interpretation. People need to hear about Jesus. So we put on flesh across the planet. What we do, we we learn languages, we learn cultures, and we go. And if we are not going, we are training, and we're sending, and we're financing, and we are encouraging. Today, we're talking about what is it to put on flesh in my city? Here, where a lot of people do speak the same language as me, where we do have the same culture generally, um, or at least I can hang out with a bunch of people of the same culture as me, what does it look like here in my city to put on flesh, and why are we even talking about it? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, did you guys notice something really tragic in the text that Judy just read? Do you notice in, in Matthew 2, it doesn't say, the wise men come from the east. Hey, why are you guys here? We heard there was a newborn king of the Jews. And everybody erupts into celebration. Yay, newborn king of the Jews. Did that happen? It said Herod was disturbed as was the entire city. Huh? The city of David isn't interested in the son of David. This is the king we've been promised. This is the king we've been waiting for, that we thought we were waiting for. And he came and he just wasn't what we wanted. We wanted a particular type of deliverance, political in that regard, and he shows up to forgive sin. Now, how offensive is that when I don't think I'm a sinner? Hmm? Which is where the Pharisees were at. Thought they were better than everybody else. Jerusalem received her king in a physical sense, but did not receive her king spiritually, where it matters. He's there for just a minute, before what? Herod sends soldiers. And here's my question for you if you love Jesus. Do you, was Jerusalem the only city that has not received her king? Because I'm pretty sure we've got 2,000 years of history now of lots and lots of Ninevehs. Well, Nineveh had a better track record than most. We have lots and lots of Jerusalems 
30 years later, Jesus is preaching and he says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. If the miracles I'd performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been weeping, sackcloth, ashes, repentance long ago. And I tell you, when my father come, when, when I come back the second time to judge everyone, it's gonna be easier for Sodom than for you because you saw miracles. I, I was right here. Here's my point. 2,000 years later, cities, generally speaking, because of the way that God works in saving a remnant, cities still generally reject Jesus. Are there beautiful moments where, where God unleashes power and the gospel tears through a community and half of people get saved and the economy shifts and the people who are losing money in Ephesus have to start a riot? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two and a half hours because their paycheck is threatened. Yes, those things happen. I was just sharing with the high schoolers in the government class I teach on Fridays, the second great awakening in the 1830s, that something like half of the bars in the greater Boston area went out of business inside 10 years. Nobody was relying on the bottle to cope with things because so many people had come to Christian, come to Christ that they had somebody greater than the bottle to rely on. It, the economy shifted. You don't want to be the guy who loses his business but you lost your business because what you offered for most people is just a false guy. I'm not saying uh, that alcohol is always sin, but when we rely on it, where we should be relying on Jesus, it absolutely is a false God. Would we love it if human history, if church history was one revival after another? Of course we would. But that's not what always happens. That's not what always happens. Uh, grab your pen, note takers. We incarnate even when the city sees Jesus as a threat. We put on flesh in order to serve, in order to proclaim Jesus, even when the city sees Jesus as a threat. This is really important because in our culture, we are so addicted to comfort, we are afraid of rocking the boat, and we need to get over that. We're afraid that somebody is going to be upset, and yet... The night of Jesus' birth, the first thing that happens is the heights of power, political and religious power, are immediately upset. And you know what Jesus did not do? Jesus did not, oh, Jerusalem's upset. I've offended somebody. I'm going to go back to heaven now. Would we be in big trouble if Jesus was uncomfortable offending somebody on the night of his birth he had offended people? He hadn't even said anything yet. And he didn't run in the face of opposition. Brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus Christ, if we believe heaven and hell are real, if we believe that God has an enemy called Satan, we believe there is opposition when light and life pour out from the epicenter that is the cross and the empty tomb. Of course there's going to be opposition. Did you read the third chapter of the book? Satan wants you to go to hell. Period. Satan, before you get to hell, he wants you to dishonor God by worshiping yourself. So let me ask you, who's Amazon helping more right now? Who does Santa Claus help? Does he help you worship yourself? Does he help you worship Jesus, right? So this is why I keep every December, I saying, guys, gift giving has to be redeemed. It has to be used very purposefully. We keep telling our kids and grandkids, we give gifts as a picture of the Father giving us the Son. It is Jesus' birthday, and we give gifts to celebrate and remember that he is the ultimate gift. If we are not saying that, 
you need to understand that Amazon and all of the ads, they will be discipling your children if you don't. That was for free. That wasn't even in the notes. But we're going to be worshiping ourselves the way Satan wants us to, or we are going to worship God. Yeah, of course, the city is going to view Jesus as a threat. The city doesn't want to be called a sinner. Anybody here, before you knew Jesus, you just loved being called a sinner? None of us. None of us. Guys, this is to be expected. This is normal. This has been normal. In every culture, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every nation, we are rebels against our creator. So why on earth, those of us who love Jesus now, why are we allowing ourselves to be surprised when not everybody wants to hear that God loves them through the cross of Christ? Have, have, we, have we failed to keep telling stories of four young men who will show up on a beach to reach natives in Ecuador and they get murdered when they had a gun and they chose not to use it? Have we, have we not told that story enough? That's a story of opposition. And by the way, it's not unique in church history. One church father said that the seeds of the church is the blood of the martyrs. We have freedom of religion in our context, and so it is lost on us sometimes what the church has actually been facing for 2,000 years. And you know who's not intimidated by this? Jesus. The one who's leading this whole thing, he's like, yeah, uh-huh, and? Onward, Christian soldier. <laughs> Come on, let's go. People need to know that God that created them, they're gonna complain, they're gonna get upset. I mean, what are the odds here in the United States that you work your way into a, a conversation of spiritual things with your friend and he pulls out a spear and stabs you through the torso? What are the odds of that here? Virtually nil because of our cultural ethos. Here, if that happens, it would make the evening news and the atheists would say, that's a terrible thing. Everybody here believes, more or less, in freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But if we're not even willing to get into the slightest social awkwardness, how on earth are we ever going to get on a plane to a place that's dangerous? How are we ever going to gladly, with fear in our heart still, gladly let our child get on a plane because they heard the voice of God and they're going to go do something dangerous for the gospel? How are we ever going to do that? When we're in a place of fear, of course the city sees him as a threat. But guess what? This same truth that you're afraid of, it'll deliver you. You guys see the irony? I don't like the gospel because it tells me that I'm a sinner, and yet it's exactly what I need. On Friday, Emily and I had to hold down a certain three-year-old who shall remain nameless because we needed a blood draw, because her iron levels are low, does the doctor want as much information as possible so we can bless our kid? Do mom and dad want as much information as possible so we can bless our kid? Does our kid have the ability at age three to understand why we're holding her down? This is why you can't think your way into the kingdom. Saul of Tarsus, I promise, he knew more Bible verses than you do. He was more devoted to what he understood of what God wanted from him. He was far more devoted than you, I promise. He was more devoted than me. And he could not think his way into the kingdom. 
The second person of the Trinity had to show up and say, knock it off. I am is essentially what Jesus said. There was an immediate discussion about the identity of God. This is very similar to Moses on Sinai, if you look at it closely. I am, which means, Saul, you are not. We all need this. And this same Saul of Tarsus, he's the one who writes Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. It's the gospel that's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It's this message that transforms, the same message that is offensive and that ticks people off is the same thing that is going to save some. Brothers and sisters, we've got to repent of our cowardice. Starting with me, we think somebody else getting mad at us is a really, really big deal. No, heaven and hell are a really, really big deal. This isn't in your notes, but I... Oh, let's talk about Nineveh for a second. Um, if you don't have a background in church, let me quickly tell this story. Eight or nine hundred years before Jesus, a prophet of Israel was told to go to the capital of Assyria. It is hard to describe how evil Assyria was, and if I told you some of the stories, I would get angry emails because it is so graphic. Uh, and horrible the way Assyria treated their enemies. But I, I, I'll give you a rough uh, estimate by saying this. Jews, 2,800 years ago, felt about Assyria the same way they feel about Nazi Germany now. It was really, really bad. And so for our purposes, to help you understand the, the hatred, imagine God right now tells a Jew in 1943, you know, hey, why don't you trounce right into Berlin and tell everybody that they're standing in the wrath of God so that God can save them. And the Jew is sitting there going, I don't want God to save Nazi Germany, right? That's very understandable. We judge Jonah because we don't understand the context. Jonah does not want to go. And there's this whole episode showing his rebellion because he does not love his enemies, but God loves his enemies. Are you excited about that? We think we're Jonah, and sometimes we are, but first off, we're Nineveh. And he, his own self-testimony, because he's the one who wrote the book. No one else was there. By his own testimony, his preaching was not winsome or positive. It didn't have three points in a poem. His preaching was, you got 40 days until you're toast because you're rebels against God. It was fire and brimstone. And God uses it, and there's a revival in the city. Jonah had every rational reason to say, these people are going to literally kill me when I walk in here. He had every excuse. And the same city that opposed God in a few wars, when God had a divine appointment, that same city had a Saul of Tarsus moment. And all of a sudden, they bow the knee gladly to their maker. Is God big or is God big? So here's what I'd love for you to write down. Accept that some people see Jesus as a threat. Just accept it. Write it, write it on your lined paper 10 times. Some people are going to be really upset. <laughs> and go make disciples anyway. 
Jesus was not naive in Matthew 28 when he gives us the great commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because it's going to be really, really easy and lo, I'll be with you always. Did, did he say that part? Did I mess it up? He didn't say it would be easy. This is a crucified Savior who gives us the great commission. Not one who was pampered. We didn't throw money at him. We didn't sign a book deal. No, we crucified him. He says, go make disciples. We incarnate in the city with a long-term perspective. We incarnate even when the city sees Jesus as a threat, and we incarnate with a long-term perspective. I'm going to take a quick side tour to Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so they may have many so you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Is this, sorry, is this what exiles wanted to hear? You lost your war against Babylon. They carried a bunch of you off to God knows where. This is a gift to you. Should I, you want me to go to the handheld? Okay. This is a Hold on, time out. You're going to be there for a minute. Anybody ever had to do that? You're going to be there for a minute. You think this is two minutes? No, no, this is going to be a little bit longer. Let's do the yellow one, okay? He says to Israel... Go ahead and get married, buy homes, plant gardens, start a business, run for office. I mean, whatever. You're going to be here a while. He told the people of God, take a long-term perspective on shining the light of my love and power. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be hard for a while. It's not going to be comfortable. So I want to uh, kind of tell a story that illustrates this, that you see where we, can, where we are currently benefiting from other saints who have taken a long-term perspective. Okay? The land we are standing on was purchased around 1961, 60, 61. Okay? These buildings were built in the early 60s. This one was built in the early 90s. None of us had to come here this morning early to set up some pop-up tents. We didn't have to pay rent because we're on somebody else's land. Our brothers and sisters who went before us, when they bought land, moved us over from Roseville, they bought land and they built buildings. Everything that they were doing was out of the hopes and the intention.
conviction that the gospel would be preached here for generations to come. Does anybody build a brand new worship center if the end of the world is next week? Right? Guys, sometimes our theology gets in our way. Jesus said in the parable of the ten virgins, he's telling them, keep in mind that oil and fire are both symbols of the Holy Spirit. He's telling us, live our lives with a constant commitment to holiness because the sun could come back at any hour and you don't know the hour. The whole point of those parables is holiness. The point is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, he's never saying don't plan at all for tomorrow. He's not saying that. So our, our forebears were not sinning when they bought this land and built on it, hoping that as long as the Lord tarries, the gospel's still going to be proclaimed here, right? We don't know if the Lord's coming back tomorrow, but since we don't know, we need to ask ourselves, how can this be an outpost of the love of God pouring out 30 years from now, 60 years from now, 100 years from now? That's Jesus' business. Specifically, it's the Father's. It's the Father's business when he sends Jesus. Okay? We need to plan to be here. If you're utterly convinced, this has happened many times in 2,000 years, people sell their house, they don't show up to work, sell their possession, whatever, convinced that Jesus is coming back on one specific day. Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour, but you figured it out. You're that smart. Right? What if we just assume that Citrus Heights is still going to need the gospel 20 years from now? Would that be a safe assumption? See, the only thing that, that would make that untrue is Jesus coming back, and only the Father knows that. That's not our business. Our business is to raise children in such a way that our city, or whatever city our child ends up in, has a clear proclaimer of the gospel, illustrating the gospel with a life of holiness, illustrating the gospel to some of the best marriages. Because what if, what if the best marriages in Citrus Heights 30 years from now, what if it was up to us to create them, to show Christ's love for the church? What if we needed to raise up little boys to be strong men who know how to take responsibility, who lay down li- their life for their wife? Like what if this, the marriages that proclaim the gospel, what if that's entirely up to us? What if I told you it is? There are lots of good people in our city with lots of good ethics that don't know Jesus, and because they don't know Jesus, they can give ethics to their kids, but they can never say to their son, you have to lay down your life like Christ laid down his life for the church. The gospel is never going to be inerrant inside that marriage until somebody comes to Jesus. Plant gardens, build houses, Put down roots, literally and metaphorically. Plan on your grandchildren being born in this city, God says to his people in exile. Know this is not your home. Quit trying to get comfortable like it's all going to be culturally yours. Was it Jewish culturally? No. Was the temple there? No. Was the temple functioning? No. Were there any sacrifices going on? No. They weren't allowed to do so much. And God says, None of that stops me from shining the light and love of my truth, beauty, and glory through you. Jesus is not hogtied right now going, oh my goodness. The church in Northern California can't do the exact same stuff that they could do 50 years ago. What am I going to do? Jesus worrying? No, 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 no. Third, 
We incarnate in the city by working and praying. We incarnate in the city by working and praying. These two things go together. Back to verse 7. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for the peace and prosperity, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So two commands in the exact same breath. The first is to work, and the second is to pray. Those go together, right? You and I do the things that God has told us to do, and we ask God to do the things that only God can do. Work and pray. Charles Spurgeon, some have called him the Prince of Preachers, he preached to crowds at the London Metropolitan Tabernacle in the 1860s, 70s, 80s. He preached to as many as 10,000 people at a time in a world that did not have amplified sound. Yeah, talk about staying quiet in church. Their cell phones could not go off. You know, <laughs> you're not going to hear the preacher. He uh, later had a preaching school where they had a tape measure and they would measure the, the width of a man's chest and if his chest wasn't big enough, they couldn't get into the preaching school. Because how God designed you was the volume maker. That was it. There was no microphone. Anyway, as with any point in world history, when something's really big, it attracts a lot of attention. There was plenty of hate, but there was a lot of... Uh, admiration as well of people who love Jesus and go, wow, God's doing something in London. This is incredible. And pastors would make pilgrimages from the U.S. and other places in the world to come see the London Tabernacle. This is just amazing. What's going on? We, you know, what a move of God. And Pastor Spurgeon would meet with these leaders when they came and visited on a Sunday. And this I think they said the worship center held something like, I don't know, I, I don't even know, thousands of people. I don't know many how many services they had, but it was a lot. He would meet with them in the foyer and say, wow, well, let me show you the boiler room. And in the 1860s, even, even then, that was a little bit of an odd thing to say, but it could be related to pride and braggadocious. Like if our boilers are 28 feet tall, you know, that tells you how big this room is to try to heat this. You know, let me show you the HVAC unit. You're not going to believe the HVAC unit on this thing. <laughs> what they didn't know is that he marches them down a set of stairs and opens a set of double doors to 700 people who are on their faces asking God to work in the lives of the people upstairs in the service. And he says, here's our boiler room. This is what makes everything work. His nickname from theologians and others is the Prince of Preachers. And he did not trust his preaching ability to start a revival or to change a single human heart. And I'm sure they had lovely music, but he didn't depend on the music. And I'm sure they had a nice building, but he didn't depend on architecture. And I'm sure they had great ministry ideas, but they didn't depend on their ministry ideas. They said, we're going to have a boiler room. The, the room behind the scenes that we know makes everything work. And it's going to be filled with saints begging God to do only what God can do. 
And so if you came to London, you made this whole journey to figure out what Charles Spurgeon's secret sauce was so you could take it back to the States, he says, your secret sauce is your savior. Ask him to do in you and through you all that he intends to do. Beg him to open up the heavens. Beg him to seek and save the lost. Beg him to break the dark things in you to allow you to move toward greater and greater love and holiness. We do the things that he has told us to do. He told us to preach. He's told us to sing. He's told us to love one another. He's told us to love and serve the whole world. And then there are things that God does. And you and I, pastors in particular, but all of us are tempted by it. When we do not like the spiritual results we're getting, because I've shared, I've prayed for my family member for 40 years and they still have not come to Jesus. I have shared the gospel with my coworker for 12 years and they've still not come to Jesus. When we don't like the results, we seek for control. We're freaking out because God's not doing his part. God, we had a deal and you're not doing, like, this was a deal, right? God, I have done my part. Now you have to, we think, even though he told us there are four different types of soil, we lose our minds and we grasp at control on the things that are God's. And we don't like to keep praying for the things we've already prayed for because this is an excruciating act of faith. Lord, I've asked for this for 30 years and I will keep asking. It is up to you. I trust you with whether you say yes or no or not yet. If you love Jesus and foundation is your home, let me encourage you. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. That's your part, to share the gospel with your top five, pray for them every day. I haven't talked about it in a few months. If you love Jesus and call Foundation Home, I want you to have at least five names of friends written on the inside of your Bible at all times. Pray for what C.S. Lewis called the hound of heaven. Pray for the Holy Spirit to seek and save the lost. He does it through his gospel that you're gonna share or that your friend or family member has already heard and you're gonna ask God to light the flame. Because Saul of Tartarsus had already heard Jesus' claims about himself. He, what he needed was the Holy Spirit to light the flame. If you are investigating faith, I hope you are not shocked that we are praying for you to meet your creator. We believe right relationship with your creator is the best possible way to live life. You bet we want you to know Jesus. Absolutely. Fourth, we incarnate in the city to help people follow Jesus. Let's get back to Matthew 2 real quick. Listen to this. They're quoting the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the political leader for my people Israel. Did I read it right? For a ruler will come from you who will be the financial leader for my people Israel. No? It hurts my feelings when you guys laugh at me. God said that he was sending a shepherd. The first thing that we see about incarnational ministry when Jesus puts on flesh is that it's opposed 
And the whole purpose of it is shepherding people who need shepherding. 30 years later, we're going to see Jesus looking out on a group of people with compassion because he could see that they were sheep without a shepherd. This is what incarnational ministry is about. I put on flesh as a Christian in Citrus Heights or to the ends of the earth to shepherd you. Yes, I am trying to influence you. You bet I'm trying to influence you. I'm going to show you where green grass and still waters and oil for your head are. All of that is Psalm 23 language. That means I want you to meet Jesus transformationally. Not in your head of who was he as a historical figure. But I want you to see the God-man who died to wash away your sin and reconcile you to him. I am shepherding you toward that. If we're talking marriage, I'm a Christian. I am trying to shepherd you and point you toward the ultimate bridegroom in everything that I say. If we are talking about parenting, because I am a Christian, I am trying to shepherd you toward God as the ultimate father of all of us. I fail as a dad. You're going to fail as a dad. God does not fail as a dad. You bet I'm trying to shepherd you to the point of seeing Jesus rightly and worshiping him with everything you've got so that you will follow him with everything that you've got. Jesus came. He incarnated to shepherd us. And then he said something scary to his church. You're going to do greater things than this. He definitely didn't say we're going to do less than. The church still has a shepherding ministry encouraging people this way. Hey, Jesus is over there. Jesus, You're not going to find joy over there. Not in a self-help kind of way. We're not looking to make our friends happier and more successful on their way to hell. What we're trying to say is the greatest joy and human flourishing is going to have to do with following the ultimate shepherd. He's over there. His name is Jesus. See the one with the nail-pierced hands? That's him. We have a shepherding ministry. That's what it is to incarnate anywhere. So let's ask the question, how can Christians incarnate in our city? Glad you asked. I want you to fill in these blanks, and I want you to take action. Bring a friend to candlelight service on the 20th or the 24th. I love it if you get to the place where you're comfortable explaining the gospel to your friends, but if you're, if you're gun-shy... Bring them to a candlelight service, and we will share the gospel with them. About this, keep an eye on the We Heart Citrus Heights events and groups to see where you can make a good relational investment. You're going to see announcements that pop up every once in a while when something is expressly for the city. You're going to see things on the back table. You'll see things in your inbox. When a ministry is expressly for the city, um, we use this label for it and keep an eye on those those are just out loud saying yes we've got internal ministries but these are external ones plan to attend winter sanctuary training on january 14 guys even if you think you know winter sanctuary even if you think oh i've done this before if you're new there's a week where we have uh homeless folks come and live with us here on property for a week and offer them services to help them take their next healthy step um we what we've never had before was Irene, the president of the Homeless Assistance Resource Team, coming in the flesh, and she is going to train us for an hour right here in this room. And I, and I know what's happened demographically. Year after year, we really struggle to get some of the younger folks because they've got ankle biters. Praise the Lord for ankle biters. So I'm making a promise to you right now. I want you to put this in your calendar. I'm going to recruit a couple of responsible adults 
who will play with the kids on the playground. And if it's raining, I'll have them do an activity in here or something. If you've got small kids, please do not let that stop you. Uh, we're going to come straight after worship, and we're going to go over there, and Irene is going to help us really understand the bones of what makes Winter Sanctuary successful, how to love and serve people. Promote Celebrate Recovery on Facebook. Brandon's doing a great job of putting out Facebook posts for Celebrate Recovery. Guys, the thing about recovery is that there's a lot of potential for shame to raise your hand and say, I have a problem, right? Is that a bit, no? I'm, I'm the only one with pride? <laughs> you guys don't have pride? Okay. The internet is such a safe, non-threatening way to find out that there's a church down the street who loves you and cares about you and sees you. There's nothing about my Facebook feed where somebody's all up in my business going, are you addicted to something? Right? So I want to encourage you, if you're not following uh, the church and Celebrate Recovery on Facebook, please do. And then every time you see something from Brandon, share it right away. Learn a new cookie recipe in time for Kairos. Uh, if you're new to the church in the last couple of months, you might not know, but a couple times a year we get an opportunity to bake cookies and then give them to our brothers who are going to take those cookies into a local prison and communicate the gospel through reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, it's an incredible ministry, but it requires cookie donations. So I encourage you, be thinking about that 12 months a year. Be praying for that ministry 12 months a year. The, the, the same men in blue that we were serving two or three months ago, guess what? They're still there. Do they still need your prayers? Can God only save somebody in blue when they heard the gospel two months ago, or could he light the flame right now because you prayed for it? That, that's the dirty little secret. Kairos ministry is 52 weeks a year, whether we're in or we're not. Invite coworkers, neighbors, classmates into your home. I want to always beat this drum. Relationship is the fast track for connection. And then we're going to end today with where God ends the book of Jonah. This is a challenge to all of us. The Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we want our hearts to be exactly where our brother Jonah is leading us. He's, he's humbly shown us that his heart was in the wrong place. He cares more for himself than the lost around him. And we want to learn from him. God, I want to I shake Jonah's hand when I get to heaven because he had the humility to write a book where he was always wrong and you, God, were always right. Where you always loved your enemies. Jesus, help us who love you to interact with our coworkers and neighbors and family, never ever seeing them as the enemy, but knowing what scripture says. We do not war against flesh and blood, but every dark thing that Satan throws our way, we war against lies, we, we war against hatred, we war against lostness, we war against hopelessness. Jesus, show your face to us, perhaps for the first time. Seek so and save the lost here in our midst. Those of us who know you and love you, would you empower us and equip us through these texts, 
so that the next 167 hours before we gather again, we are shining the light of the gospel in every context that you put us in. God, we thank you so much, believing that you're going to say yes to these requests to seek and save the lost. God, we've got friends and family. We want them to celebrate Christmas this year truly for the first time because they finally know their Savior. God, make it happen. God, please make it happen. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said. Ladies and germs, do not miss next week. When you come in here next week, there's going to be a baptismal filled right over here, and we are going to celebrate baptisms at the end of the service. It's going to be a great time. I love you. Have a good week.